I've told some stories of, about some land that is, I guess it would be northwest uh, of Austin here where I live. Um, my on one side of my family, uh, there there was it was my dad's uh, family, his real mother uh, that died when he was three. It would be her family's ancestral home. That area right there, <clears throat> it's an area called Joppa near Burnett. And I had a guy that was up in a tree stand. <clears throat> and one of these things, and I was planning on telling the story on the Halloween episode, but I'm not going to give it a whole, give a whole lot of detail because I might, st- might still go back and go over. He shot one that was almost point blank crawling up a tree. And he said that it looked like a piece of flesh came off of it, but there was no blood. Like it was literally left sh- left shoulder. Said it should have tore it right off. It was a twenty two two fifty, and he said it happened like you know twenty thirty years ago. I don't remember how long ago it was, but he said he was a young guy, climbed up a tree, and the thing just went after him. And uh, it wasn't huge. It wasn't a huge creature, but it was highly aggressive, which doesn't surprise me. I've gotten a lot of reports out of that little area right there, a little niche, and he was up in the tree. And he just fired down, and it, and all it did was just blow like a piece of chunk of meat off of it, but there was no blood. And then he hit it between the eyes, and he saw like an indention, like in a, in a cave, like it caved it in. And there's a lot more to the story. That's why I said I'm, I was going to tell it on the Halloween episode as one of my dogman stories. But the, the crazy thing is that it didn't, it didn't kill it. It didn't do anything. It knocked the, the physically knocked it down. And then it just kind of shook its head a few times, and then he said that the the weird one of the weirdest things, like when it started to walk away, that it looked like uh, water coming off of its body, but it wasn't blood. And later, his friends, when they came to pick him up, you know, of course, he's up in that tree. This isn't the day of cell phones where you could call. You know, he was just there. He was stuck. Um, and they came to get him. You know, and they heard gun gunfire. But they figured he'd bagged a deer. Well, eventually they come to get him, and he's like, and they looked. It was still enough daylight that they looked, and there was no blood. Uh, And the thing went off on all fours, but it did stand up on two legs. And he said he looked into the eyes were very human-like, although they were yellow. And uh, he was just like, dude, it looked like a human, like in the face. You could see the humanness of it, but it was very uh, aggressive, vicious, and... He was definitely on the menu, and it was a, it was physically climbing up the tree. But to fire and hit it twice, point blank, that's pretty crazy, man. And, I mean, that that guy is a guy that I actually interviewed face-to-face, you know. Um, like, it was it was crazy. Like, you know, and I had talked to him a, a while, like a long time ago. And I had, inter- I had done a lot of interviews around that time from that area. And so I went back into my, my archives, and I saw – his name on there, and I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, that that guy. I had talked to him a long time ago, so got back in touch with him through the magic of Facebook, and uh, you know, it took him a while, but he responded, and I was, he's like, oh, yeah, I remember talking to you, so you know, I had actually met him once face to face, and and it was like us drinking at the at the pub at the bar, you know, and and then we talked a little bit about it, but there was all kinds of stuff going on. So we had always said, Hey, we're going to talk again. Well, I finally got to communicate with him a couple months ago. And basically 
you know, the story he told me didn't change from like 10 years ago when he told me, but he went into more detail about it. And it was, it was a horrific incident. Um, so this guy ended up, you know, long story short, he shot it twice. No blood. Has he, has he been back in forest hunting since? Has he no. traumatized him? No, he no. said he's done. He actually works at a power plant now, uh, I think out near, uh, well, I don't want to get into it, but anyway, he works yeah. at a power plant and, and, and he's, he moved and he was just like, yeah, I don't go out much. Um, but where he, where he works at the power plant, there's been a, a couple sightings of these creatures because they're drawn toward, uh, places of energy. And yeah. And, and mm -hmm. it's, it, that's so interesting jumping on that, where we touched on the, these things seen around military bases, a bit out of my area. Uh, but there's a, there is a story from 1999, which I've just written about in a new book, and I've called it The Baboon Werewolf. And I've changed this lady's name, but I've spoke to her, well, a, a good few times. I've changed her name to Lucy, and it's in a place called Prestwick. And back in 1999, she was 18 years old, and she worked as a trainee administrator at British Aerospace in Moncton, Prestwick, Scotland. And but and uh, in the compound uh, in the area where they worked, they also had a military base, and HMS Gannett was in the compound at the time. Uh, it was separated by for fencing and armed guards. But it's, it's such a strange encounter because she said she went to work at. Uh, let me just get my facts right. At seven fifteen a.m. this particular morning in January, and the 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 security let her in, and she's walked to the back gate and. I've just got a bit of paper here. I can this is helping me with notes, this. So it, it, the journey usually took her about eight to ten minutes. And as soon as she started walking, she knew she was being watched. And this is a weird element, again, I mean, we, we, you've touched on it, I've touched on it, the fact that there's some kind of perception, there's something going off with these things on another level that, that isn't normal animal behaviour or, or what you'd attribute to normal animal behaviour. So how many times do we hear this? So... At some point in her journey, she heard a, a very loud crashing sound, like, I don't know, cans, boxes falling over or crashing to the floor. And she looked and she, she said it came from inside the apprentice block, the trainee apprentice blocks block, and she stopped in her tracks. She waited a few seconds, then she noticed, or she said that she noticed a strange peer, a shape appear at the doors of this old wooden shed. And, and she thought somebody, she thought... She, she kind of makes sense of it, or trying to, and she thought, well, that obviously something's fell on them, or they fell down, and that because whatever it is, is crawling. So she thought somebody was injured, looked like they were crawling out of the shed. So she took a few steps closer, and then she said she heard a weird noise, not human. It, it was a growl. She heard this, and this is on a military base, high security military base, and also part of British Aerospace. Uh, and that's when she realized it weren't a person. She said, I looked, she said it was like a new dog, like 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 a huge dog, like a Newfoundland dog, but e but even bigger. And, uh, she, you know, she, she, she explained that uh, she knew about these dogs. Her friend's got one and she sort of drawing a comparison to that. So it took a few steps forward and stopped. And she remembered looking around to see if anybody else were there. She said, nobody's about. And this is an 18 year old young woman, girl. She said, and. She said it just took a few seconds. She said, uh, I was, and it was standing upright on two legs, but and, and it were a lot closer, you know, as she's looked around, she's looked back, and it's on two legs and it's closer, maybe five meters away from her. Absolutely huge. 
She described it as st standing sort of slightly hunched, uh, must have been seven foot tall, even in that hunched over stance. And she said, it, uh, to her, it's only only thing she can describe it is a, as a werewolf, and she's only five foot three inches tall, she said. Uh, and it had really pointy ears at the top of its head, not at the side of its head. Dark fur, massive frame, huge shoulders, its eyes look yellow, uh, not glow, oh, did glow yellow, sorry. And its face like, and this is a one that we get all the time, and I'm sure you guys do, its face looked like something from the American werewolf in London. I mean, I wonder where they got that face from, people, because obviously it's from descriptions of pe people that have seen things like this. Its arms looked like human arms, but muscular, hands and claws at the end of its body, uh, just massive. Uh, everything from, uh, and it had a waist, which, you, as you were talking to me about it, you still kind of surprised at it, you know, bodybuilder type physique. Oh, yeah. Uh, she described its legs as very long uh, and very muscular. So, at some point, the mailman used to go around on a cart and she heard the sound of this cart coming and this thing looked and let out a huge growl and just bounded off, disappeared. Then she said the rest of the day, security from from the military complex, which she'd never seen before or since, I think she worked there a few years, they were all over the place. There were helicopters everywhere. So they must have known about it. I mean, were this thing captured and, and, and it escaped? What its purpose were on military base, uh, Josh, I've really no idea. Do you know? But uh, an interesting story. But, oh, and then the local papers. So people can, can sort of Google this if you wanted to, because the internet, you can find anything. She said in the local papers, because she, she faked being ill and went home after she'd seen it and had the rest of the week off, she was that sort of traumatised. Uh, the local papers then talked about the Prestwick baboon. And this, it's still there on the internet, this stuff to look at. That's why we call it the baboon werewolf, she says, because two policemen said they'd seen this thing that they thought resembled a baboon bound across the road. Huge, huge animal, it says. The papers don't don't give an indication of its size. Uh, and there's a few there's a few reports of it still on the internet to find. The, the, so if you type in something like the Prestwick Baboon UK, you got, you're going to find it. So she said, but I knew it weren't a baboon. I saw it up close and personal. It, it you know, it, it in her eyes, her terminology, it was a werewolf. So another unusual story. And what we've got there again is uh, things coming out close and around military bases. That's a very common theme. Uh, you know, here in America, Edwards Air Force Base, there is a, they're known for a white Bigfoot. Um, really? Like an albino type, yeah, white uh, colored Bigfoot. Um, gotten a few reports of that. Then 29 Palms, there, there's, no, there's one known to be kind of a tall, rangy looking Bigfoot, which is a military base, a Marine Corps base. Um, I don't know why they call it Tornado Palms. There's no palm trees there. It's just called that. <laughs> and it's a desolate. It's where you go to do your desert warfare training. And so, anyways, uh, th they there are Bigfoot that are known uh, in d different regions, and they have different uh, looks about them, different, you know, whatever. Uh, here's my question, though. Th this th th when, when you were t describing what she saw, it was like, that's what I saw. The pointy really? top, the, yeah, the ears, uh, it was black and black or smoke, maybe a smokish gray, but it could have been the lighting 
I always wondered if, if it was maybe the lighting, but, you know, we all seem to agree on it because it wasn't just me. It was me and my friend and part of his family. Um, and we saw uh, what, you know, what kind of what you described. The upper body was like a bodybuilder looking type. The legs were really muscular, but the the, ba- the bottom part of the legs was very, you know, like the, the backward bent hawk looking legs. Um, you know, how dog legs look. They kind of, yeah. you know, taper down. Yeah. That was basically what we saw, and and it was just a timber wolfish looking, but just like a, an apparition, you know. And I don't mean apparition. Let me explain this because I said that on my show one time, and somebody's like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. An apparition <laughs> is different from an apparition. Apparition meaning something you don't see that's that's kind of a grotesque looking thing that you're not used, to, you're not accustomed to seeing. And an apparition is a ghost. And I had, I have, sorry, I have to explain that to the smart people that are listening. But some people don't know that. And I had somebody really say something. It made them look ignorant in the comments on YouTube. It was like, oh, you don't even know how to use words. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Thank you, sir. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I gave them some very sound advice. And, uh, you know, that was the end of it. But I have to to point that out. But it, it, it was something you don't see every day. And it just it, it stays with you. Now, here, here, here's I wanted to delve into this real quick. You were talking about black dogs. Now, of course, I don't know, a lot of people know about old Shuck. That's a very, very common story. And I told a story on my show once about a guy getting lost um, in an area that was known for werewolves or dogmen. And and, and he began to hear howling and whatever. And this black dog appeared on the road and he began to follow it. And it actually ended up taking him because uh, he was kind of lost, you know, and uh, it took him, long story short, back to his 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 home, um, you know, and it, I think it was actually the people that he was visiting or whatever. Yep. Something kind of similar like that happened to me when I was when I was young, uh, and I always thought it was a Bigfoot, you know, and I do, I still to this day believe that I've had maybe a few Bigfoot encounters, but never saw it. If that makes any sense, I've never yeah. seen it, like. I don't. My wife claims that we saw one. She got a better look at it than I did. All I saw was the back, and I don't know what it was, I, and so I don't claim it. But I never saw it. But I, I, I more than once, I felt like there was they, that it was there, and and yeah, I, and my, I thought for sure it was a Bigfoot. I mean, because uh, there's a lot of them. I mean, a lot of stories of these things in, in Texas, and I used to live in a heavily, heavily wooded area, and uh, we would hear weird whoops and howls and. All kinds of stuff, man, and like hear like things fighting, and we didn't know what they were, and didn't sound like any animals that we knew of, and we spent a lot of time out there in in the sticks until I was fifteen when I moved into town, and that's when I saw the werewolf looking thing. We are we we are calling it the Texas Wolfman now. Uh, we're in the process of creating an action figure line, and me and my partners have kind of agreed on the name of what I saw just as the Texas Wolfman because we don't really know what else to call it. Everybody has their own, like there's the Michigan Dogman, the Beast of Bray Road, uh, and so mine's just the Texas Wolfman because that's what it was. It was in Texas and what, it looked like a wolfman. And, what year, Josh? What year did you see uh, that? 1990, October, which was Halloween night, uh, 1990. The guy that I was hanging out with that I saw it um, is now a preacher in my hometown, and we had just come from egging cop cars. So yeah, yeah, we were we were we were doing bad things like we always did. Me and my friend, uh, we were in trouble a lot. We got locked up multiple times as kids. 
luckily they you know they seal the records and they you know you don't have to you know whatever unless you do something really violent then they can look back at it but yeah um you know i, I haven't been in trouble since i was 17 and so i just kind of got i stopped getting in trouble and doing stupid things but anyway my mom was like i'm not coming to get you long story short i ended up seeing that thing and uh, a lot of people know the story. I'm not going to get into it. We're here to hear your stories, but well, well yeah, Josh, I'm, I'm, I, I realise that, but I'm just intrigued. Just bear with me for five minutes or two minutes. What, what, what did it do to you? What was the fear? What, how did you feel? Oh man, uh, you know, it, it, the, the fear is something you can't even describe. I mean, for me, you're, you know, first, first, you're trying to process what you saw. You know, and then, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, you can't even wrap your mind around what you're looking at and what you're seeing. Um, you know, it, it started off looking like, okay, there's this dark German shepherd sitting in a ditch. Then it's a giant wolf that it looks at you and it, and it looks like, is that a wolf man? You know, like, you know, you don't yeah, know what yeah. it is and then it stands up and runs across the road. Then it, then it goes, you know. Uh, cuts back, you know, into the neighbor's house's yard. And I say that because we were on the corner and then, and then my friend's house was right next to the house that was on the corner. That house is no longer there. It was on the corner, but it had a giant fence around it because they had pit bulls and the city had like, I guess, made them leave or something. I don't know the whole story, but anyways, it was a giant fence there and this thing went up and, and was manipulating the fence physically. And so I you know, was able to run past it. And, and so I've told the story on DER, you know, episode 55. Um, it, it was just a, it was so terrifying for years having nightmares about it. And it, and then it kind of, you know, I always thought it was like a physical creature and I thought that it was my own mental, um, my own mind kind of messing with me and just making me relive it or, you know, and then, you know, for years and years and years, you're getting reports of these things doing, metaphysical type things they're not you know yeah. so then i started to realize there was one time where i thought it was just a dream but knowing what i know now and how many people i've interviewed about these things i don't think it was i woke up to this thing what it looked like was lunging out of my closet and i was just i opened my eyes and i was like oh okay i was still asleep but I felt yeah. like this really, really palpable fear. Like you could almost touch it, you know, it was like it was, and I, and, and when I got up to take a shower and I kept thinking I was going to see it and I was just, it, it was so scary. And then I had yeah. an overwhelming fear of it, like of it, that same presence felt the same to me. Um, on a, two other occasions, one, when I was working a security detail on a post, I was by myself. I thought this thing is around. And I and I, did, I don't know how I knew that I just did. And then once when I was just laying there on on the couch watching TV, uh, you know, in in the early spring, uh, one year when you know probably fifteen years ago, um, and I was just laying there on the couch and I felt and I had the back door open with with like the sliding uh, screen, and I kept thinking that it was in the backyard, and I was like, why is that mental image in my back in my and I had two big dogs, and I don't know where they went. They were nowhere to be found, and I was like, where are they? And this thing, I just felt like it was there, like I had this. So then I started realizing that a lot of people go through this. Now, of course, going on to DER, um, 
you're not you weren't really allowed to talk about the the the, the other than the physical aspect of it, you know. Because the host of that show wants everybody to, hey, he, he's got a certain narrative he wants everybody to follow. So you can't get too far into the esoteric because then he'll shut you down. So um, what ends up happening is, you know, you, you, he says he's helping people. Well, he didn't help me. He kept trying to convince me. It's just, you know, it's, it's just the, the fear that you have and all this in your mind, whatever, and that, that there is no metaphysical aspect to it. Well, over the years, Eventually, you know, he admitted to me that that's not really the whole, you know, whole deal. And I was kind of aggravated by that because I was always being told by pretty much everybody in this community that, that I first uh, teamed up with that that's what it was. And I kept thinking, I don't totally agree with this. This isn't correct because there were too many things that were happening, um, you know, that that made me think that this thing was more than that. And then... 29 years later, my friend's brother tells me, hey, you know, I saw this black vapor coming off the back of its neck. And I'm like, wait, what? Um, I told you that story, Paul. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, it, you know, it, it, it was like, that was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know that. That's what he saw. So if, if you take all that together, all things considered, this thing is very metaphysical. And I could get into tons of different stories about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you, Josh. I really am, and I get where you're coming from. I mean, the first show that I did on on that that show years ago, I think it was number sixty four or sixty two. I can't remember off the top of my head, and I did touch on these things being not necessarily being true flesh and blood in the truest sense of the word, and I, I did feel like uh, that kind of suggestion didn't want to be heard but that, that that's that's the way of things in it but uh, i think there's too many people that the altered environment that people experience when when in close proximity to these things the altered environment uh the the electricity the feeling in the air the, the all, all of these things attribute it to something more than just a normal animal i mean one of the stories in wolflands is from three guys who are from a uh, town called Rotherham here in the UK. And they de they decided, once again, wild camping. Uh, they decided to go to the forests of North Yorkshire. Uh, two friends, well, three friends, and there's only two gone on camera. And they're in a ravine, an 800-foot ravine. Now, I've been down into the ravine on numerous occasions now with these guys. Uh, took them a few years to talk about it. They'd been on that... They've been listening to our live stream, which we do on a Thursday night, and uh, he, one of them reached out to me. He said, we're in this ravine. And the guy who was, hasn't gone on camera, the guy who doesn't want to speak, we'll just call him George for the, for the purpose of this story. He said, he, started, he says, we've, we've made our way into it. It's took us an hour and a half to get down into it. Uh, and we set up camp. It's a thick, old pine forest, and there's 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 native trees in oak trees all sorts it's an old forest there's a there's a river running through the bottom of it it's in what's called the forge valley and he starts saying we're being watched we've got to leave there's something watching us we, we, we have to go he said he's getting really really nervous and uh it'll touch on the fear that you were talked about in a moment he said and, uh, we can't understand it he's, he's a bit younger than them he's late 40s these guys are early 50s so it's just not like him 
He's never, he's just a quiet guy, just goes about his business. And he's, we've got to go. He says, well, it were impossible. It's night. And anybody who's familiar with forests, the UK, any country in the world in night time, you've got spiky branches from pine trees and spruce trees sticking out all over. He says, we couldn't have got out. He says, the ravine was steep, 800 foot deep. We, we were there for night. He said, but he's getting frightened. And we don't know why. He said, and then, I don't know which one saw it. I think it was Steve that saw it. He said a huge pair of amber eyes lit up in the darkness. Now, I took a surveyor's taping and they were 45 foot away because we found their camp. We found where fire was and, and we knew where it was stood. He said, and Jimmy, uh, who was a bit more wildlife savvy than the other two because he goes all over the place, uh, or he did until seeing this. He stopped him for, for a, a few years. He said, I'm think, looking at it and thinking, I, I can't think of an animal to assign these eyes to. That's his exact words. He says, because the bigger than a cow's eyes, the huge and the, and the, but the shape of human eyes and the glowing amber. Now, that's another attribute that's not anything in the animal kingdom. You haven't got a torch on this. This is the dead of night in a deep forest, the self-illuminating eyes. So they're watching them. And all the time, I'm care careful not to say this guy's name. He's getting more and more frightened uh, to a point where they think he's going to run off into the night. And they watch this thing for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And it's there about 36 inch off of the ground. And they're looking at it. And he says, he says, I, even I says, I just didn't know what I was looking at. He said, it was the strangest thing. But we're trying to console our friend. He said, but in the end, I couldn't take it anymore, Jim said. He said, and I stood up. They've got a small fire and a little tent there, a little bivy. He says, I stood up and I, I took two or three steps towards it, making the shooing sound, like, and like shouting at it. He said, and it disappeared. He says, and I thought, oh, thank God for that. He says, and then I turned round and I could see in the firelight the look on Steve's face and the other lad's faces and their jaws had literally just dropped. And that's when Steve comes in because we've, we've interviewed them, you know, together. And he went, I knew he hadn't seen it. He never saw it stand up. He said, and he said, I knew he'd not seen it. So Jim said, when I turned round and looked back from seeing these eyes that were 36 inch off ground, I'm now looking at seven foot in the air. It, well, he estimated the eyes too. He said, and uh, I put a sticker on a tree and, you know, sort of stood back 45 feet and got, you know, we got the guys to sort of say, yep, yeah, we think it were about there. There's a bit of moonlight and he says, we can see it in moonlight. And, his shoulders are huge. Steve said, you couldn't have fitted two men into that shape. It were, I've never seen Otis big. It was like a, an, a slightly stooped forward, like an American footballer. He said, if you'd have asked me to draw a werewolf, I wouldn't have drawn that. He said, seriously, wouldn't. He said, but that's what it was. They were reluctant to say it word at first. In, in, in fact, when I asked them what it was, Steve said, well, it were a, a, a werewolf. And Jim said it were a, a dog man. And that's and he broke his words up just like that. He said its ears looked ridiculous, Josh. He said they, they, they were too pointy. It were almost cartoonish. He said, and it kept turning to its right. He said, and that's when we saw the muzzle. He said, and that were ridiculous. It were like Wiley Coyote. He said, it, it, it would, it, everything about it, he said, were exaggerated. The shoulders, the arms, they didn't see legs. They only saw it from waist up. And th these guys were terrified. And... He said, we thought it were growling at us, but we realised after a time it were breathing.
Its breathing was so powerful. That's what the the earth. But I said to, I asked them both what they felt as regards fear. He said they said it's a good job they'd got their friend with them because they were having to physically hold him to stop him running away. Said he's a big guy, like he's well over six foot. But that helped them in a way because he said we could see it in his peripheral vision. We'd we'd, we'd all we'd we'd have all been looking at it. And we're not talking like a five-minute sighting here, guys. It watched them all night. And as Steve said, in the end, I just wanted it to be over. I just, he said, I wanted to die. The fear was so great. I, I knew I couldn't get away from it. And the the, the, the bile, the venom that it were sort of <clears throat> putting out onto them, the feelings, he said, I said, well, fear on a scale of one to ten. Stephen, and I, I love the line that he used. He said, I didn't know I'd got that much fear in me. He said, I've, I've never, ever felt anything like that fear in my life. So that took them. It was 2018. I think it was August 2018 when they saw it. And he reached out to me in 2020. And we spoke for a few times. And the guy, I mean, he'll openly say, I mean, he were, he were absolutely in floods of tears on the phone. Was, apart from Jimmy. And other guy won't talk about it. Apart from Jimmy, he's, he'd never spoke to anybody about it. He said, but I couldn't get it out of my mind. He says, my wife thought I were having an affair. I'd changed my personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, my kids had noticed difference. He said, I, I, everywhere I went, I could see this thing. I could see it in my mind's eye. If I closed my eyes, it were there. Yep. If, if I, you know, he said, I, I, I were missing work. And, and he actually said it's done him a lot of good now unloading the story and and speaking to me and he's realized that other i'm not a counselor am i but you know it was somewhere to channel this story and actually to realize that he's he's not on his own he's not going mad lots of people have seen these things all from all different walks of life as you know josh and you know there's a truth there's a reality to it and once again where's it coming from it's coming from the, 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 the realms of folklore where these things have been reported for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, you talked about the Black Shook. The stories of the Black Shook emanate from the forests of North Yorkshire and the coastline of eastern North Yorkshire. Whitby primarily, Kettleness, Ravenscar, they've all got stories of the Black Shook. The, 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 the ancient carvings that the Vikings left behind have got the carvings of wolves, wolf with the... Uh, what they perceive as uh, the Norse god, I think, is it Tyr or Tyr? Tyr, yeah, Tyr, the hand of Tyr. Yeah, with his hand in Fenrir's mouth. All these things are there and and all the terminology. I've missed out quite a lot of the the links that are going to be in Wolfland just because I want to sort of retain a little bit of the things people, I don't mean they're going to go wow, but they're going to think, good God, I mean, I've never, the name of one of the forests uh, is is just uncanny, and and the things that are in the forest, the names of the things in the forest, all relate not to the wolf in particular. They relate to Fenrir, and uh, once it's explained, you don't have to scratch your head a lot to to and think. Well, he's scratching, clutching at straws here, trying to make them links. They're there. Do you know what I mean? And they were near a river as well, called called the River Derwent, which actually runs along the back of Flixton and the Seema cars and the Flixton cars. When people talk about these things being seen along watercourses, that same river runs to Flixton, which is about 11 miles away from these forests. So, so it, it all kind of ties in, Josh, you know. It, it, all the ingredients are there. 
what I like to impress upon people, and I know we've done it and we've done it and done it today, is the fact that they're not pure flesh and blood creatures. There's something else attached to them. The lower silence, the, the, you know, that, that feeling when you're sort of immersed into a different environment. We'd got a guy up on the clifftops who never actually saw anything. He were at a place called Scalby Mills. Scalby Mills, which is it, it's, it's renowned for big cat sightings. There's woodland there as well and, and cliffs and, and UFO sightings at Scalby Mills. But what else? He's, he's gone up there to do some stargazing. He's not gone up there because he's looking for unexplained phenomena. He's not looking for UFOs. And uh, if you look at the – if I put a link on to somewhere, if, you, if you've got anywhere where I can put it, and I'll put a link to Wolfland's, the promo, he's sat there telling us the story. He said – and. I've, I've just poured myself a drink. I'm just sort of watching the sky, the sky. And he said it was just like somebody had pressed pause. He said suddenly I couldn't hear the sea anymore because he's on the clifftop. I couldn't hear the seagulls because they cackle all night. That's where they've got better eyes than owls, you know, and bats because they're, they're flying about all night long, these things. And where I live in East York, in Bridlington, there's, there's phone wires and everything, and they managed to dodge them. So... I don't know how we got to Seagull's eyes there, Josh, but there you go. He says, I'm I'm sat there, he said, and just like somebody's pressed pause. He said, and then I felt fear, and I don't know why. He says, the environment changed, but I felt extreme fear. He says, and I don't scare easy. I, I come up onto these cliff tops alone quite often when I've got free time away from my wife and family, you know, and I get a, a few hours spare. He said, now, if you've ever been to the horse racing and you've heard the horses when they've come thundering past, he said, I looked in the distance, I could hear something very big running through the, the undergrowth, really big. He said, and it got louder and louder. He said, and I just dropped into fetal position. He said, and if somebody had have said to me, an elephant or a rhinoceros were just about to run over the top of me, I'd have believed it. And I were ready for impact. And everything just snapped back to normal. So there's no creature sighting there. There's a kind of creature experience. But uh, nevertheless, it's the altered environment. It's the it's, it's the it's the it's just the strangeness of the area. And and I don't think that I'm particularly living in an area that's that that's so special that it's unique unique to the world i think these areas exist everywhere like with skinwalker the beast of bray road which i touched on earlier i would love to know because i know people have researched it extensively if they get ufo reports there big cat reports there and what other unexplained phenomena should we say not necessarily the big cats being unexplained because i know you've got them we don't have them native here in the uk yet we get big cat reports it's it's just a paranormal soup yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what you were <clears throat> when you said Scalby. Um, yeah. that, that my ears perked up. I, I don't. I don't know exactly where that is. Um, I don't know how it's spelled, but I know Skull or Skull uh, was one of the sons of uh, uh, Fenrir. Now Sc right. Skull and uh, he had a brother. Uh, oh, don't tell me to uh, Hady Hattie Hattie Hady. Haiti, uh, which me Haiti, which means uh, it's H H E H I A T I, I believe. Um, going off the top of my head here, and oh gosh, and we talked about this, Paul. I'm getting glasses. No, <laughs> I don't can't worry, look so up the, and read. Um, but uh, in so um, um, I ordered glasses, folks. When they come in, probably in my live stream, you'll probably see me and go, "What the heck," you know? But uh, as at by the time this is, it plays, I'll probably already have them, and I, but I'm having trouble seeing close up. Uh, I can see far away, but anyway, ha Haiti 
is I think it translates to like the one who hates or he who hates whatever they, they, they chase the sun and the moon. Um, and that's that, and they end up, they're the ones that end up, uh, trying to free Fenrir and then somehow, uh, I don't know the whole story. Um, I have to go back and read, reread my, my, uh, history. I've read all kinds of mythology because I believe there's truth in it. Yeah. And, and so they, they end up freeing Fenrir and Fenrir, of course he does what he does. Uh, ultimately he breaks his chains, I think because of, of their interference, but I think that they were. I think Odin captured them and threw them. But anyway, just the fact that that, that is the story and they bring about the destruction. Now, Haiti and Skull are not good guys at all. They are monsters. And, of course, Agraboda was the troll-type female that, that, that Loki, the god of mischief, uh, bred with. And, and she gave birth to like a bunch of <clears throat> different types of wolf-like creatures. Agraboda is considered to be uh, one of the mothers. And, of course, the troll is, is very prominent in the Scandinavian legends and myths. And, of course, the troll uh, is interchangeable with the uh, – uh, what's it called? The um, the the beings that, that, that Thor was always fighting with and killing. Yeah. I forgot what they were called. They, they're, they're synonymous with trolls. But anyways, uh, th- that's the whole story. So you have – like you said, the hand of Tyr, he had his hand bitten off, you know. Um, I think the whole, I think Tyr, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he's the one that uh, chained him up or, or whatever. Well, what it was, uh, and we both might be wrong here, Josh, uh, the, the the gods in Norse mythology realized that Fenrir was obviously monstrously powerful. Too powerful, yeah. And, and they, they didn't know how to contain him or kill him, and they, got, they built, they made chains that he kept breaking. And then the, I think they they got the the trolls, the dwarfs, to make a chain that that was supposed to be unbreakable. And cha- and but he, he, because he was cunning in mythology, that Tenria asked that the god Tyr put his hand in his mouth before he was chained up, because he, he he assumed that he, he thought it was a trick. And if he were chained and he couldn't break free, then he would bite the hand off the the god, which he did. He, he ultimately ate Odin as well. And I, is what he, Agraboda? Is that what, how you pronounce pronounce the name? I think that I think it's Angra, Angraboda I, or something. Right, like that. when she was Fenrir was her son, and they had there, there was a there was a huge serpent called uh, Jormungandr. Normangunda, uh, you know, so yeah, these strange offspring that were supposed to have uh, appeared as a combination of Loki and and the name I can't pronounce uh, are there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just a fascinating story. And like you said, there's, there's grains of, of truth in it. And then jump into the place names. You said Skalby, very close to Skalby. You've got Hundale Point on the Hemdale, edge of the Hemdale, North Sea. Yeah. And, and, and Hund meaning hound. Yeah. Which, you know, Crazy though, like the ogres, that's what they were that Thor was always fighting. And there's a yeah. lot of legends of these um creatures too in England, but they were miniature. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and yeah. And you know, we didn't touch on the names of Flixton when we were talking about the Flixton werewolf. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. That that used to be called Wolfland in, in ancient times. And a few miles from Flixton, we've got Hunmanby. Uh, which broken down means, and this is the ancient text, it's not me that's trying to make it fit, farmstead of the houndman. Now, how apt when we're talking about 
something akin to a werewolf, farmstead of the houndman, hundmanby, hundimanby it used to be known as. So that you've got all these connotations to the wolf, to the dog, uh, to the bipedal dog. It's all there. You know, some of the stories that I've got, Josh, I mean, they run back. Well, some of the people are dead. I mean, we, we, we run back to 1948. Uh, we run back to the late 30s, early 40s, where a, a farmer called Jimmy Keith claimed he'd seen the werewolf on the on the Flixton cars. You need to explain to people the cars are not nothing to do with motor yeah, vehicles. It's C-A-R-R-S. It's Reeds and Eldritch Wetland. It's the lake that was Lake Flixton, Star Car. And uh, this thing's been seen, but it's pretty barren. The, the forests of North Yorkshire, I don't know, five to 11 miles away, they're absolutely dense. But the, the cars are pretty bad barren places nowhere for anything that essentially would be carnivorous to to hide or to breed or there's no cave systems there there's cave systems on east yorkshire coast but uh, yeah it's just it's just a fascinating fascinating land you got to wonder too like there's so many of these legends of the in these these werewolf type creatures dogmen uh i i, I i'm People, I've argued with so many people, and they'll tell you, well, they they hunt uh, animals and this and that. If there's this huge breeding population of these creatures, they're going to wipe out whatever wildlife is there. I mean, carnage. It would be it, carnage. It would be absolute right? carnage. People, I argued with a guy the other day in a group. And I, I, I don't know why I even argue with these people, but I do. Because I try to, I try to teach people. So then they're like, "Yeah, water, yeah," and then they start arguing back, and it's ridiculous. My wife's like, "Why are you wasting your time?" But this guy said, "Megalodon still exists," and I said, "I, I, I highly doubt it." And he's like, <laughs> "Why is? Why do you doubt it?" And I said, "Well, first of all, we would be finding carcasses of whales with humongous bites taken out of them." Yeah, I mean, you know, they would there would be evidence uh, boats being attacked. Um, you know, uh, man, there was there was a guy. People that just was... want it. Well, what what happens? And you've, you'll have seen these uh, YouTube films, where a megalodon sighted, and it's not. Yeah, those, you, those are fake. That's yeah, a fake yeah. show. They were trying to dramatize it, and even the actors, you could tell it was like when they were talking that they were like actors. I mean, come on, I don't know how gullible people can be, but I just I sit there and I go like I'm shaking my head and I'm going like you know what if there was these werewolves were breeding. And mm. running around, doing, I mean, you would see them, but they would be destroying things like you, you wouldn't believe. And so that's why I tend to feel like, for the most part, they're coming from another, like, fourth dimension. And yeah. I explained it on my show. Like, I drew a picture of a two-dimensional character, and I said, look at this, okay? This is how the two-dimensional character, you can't perceive us in the third dimension, just as we can't perceive those in the fourth dimension. The fourth dimension can see us. They can see everything. You know, and I tried to explain that, you know, you can't, it's, it's, it's too, you know, there's just too hard to fathom, I guess, or wrap your mind around. But I, I have so many accounts of these things coming out of balls of light yeah. and then going in and out of like, you know, the Serbian werewolf. This thing was halfway, you know, halfway out of a portal and halfway in while it was grabbing a servant, a servant, a girl that worked as a, as a housekeeper, uh, up, you know, going up the stairs and this thing was grabbing her and she was like absolutely terrified. Um, she didn't speak good English when she tried to, when we tried to interview her, 
we had to have uh, the 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 lady of the house had to translate for her, but it was absolute terror. She was just like afraid to even talk about it. She thought it was going to come back and get her, that it was around, that it could hear her, that it was invisible and it could make itself visible. It was very much like a spirit and this thing yeah. grabbed her and tried to pull her. She thought it was trying to pull her into another, like another world. Um, and she was just like to be devoured or killed, whatever. Um, you know, I've talked to so many people who have had so many different, um, one lady, you know, and I don't want to get into this story. It's it's an in-depth one, but she saw just a pair of floating yellow eyes in her room. And yep. this is a horrific story. Um, and this one happened in, I think, Redding, California, or, or, or I think that's what it was. And she turned the light on, and there is a floating, like, giant wolf head with a wispy body that she couldn't really make out, and it was slowly materializing. She didn't wait around to go, oh, let's see how this turns out. No, she jumped up literally opened her window and jumped out of the window. This was in an apartment. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And she like ran down the road. Like she's like, and, and unfortunately for me, she's like, I didn't have all my clothes on. <laughs> and she was like, I'm out. I'm She didn't even care. And, well, it, uh, I think that's the best option that she took. Wasn't yeah. It, you know? And then her husband is driving down the road. It's like 11 o'clock at night. And he's like coming home from his swing shift. I guess what she said. She wor He worked. And sees her screaming, running down the road, and so they go back in there. There's not a trace of this thing. They see nothing. They don't. They don't. And it, there was never anything ever again. That was it. I mean, it was just there, there was some stuff that led up to it, which I'm not going to get into. But it was just crazy, you know. Yeah, and you, so, go ahead, Paul. No, it just kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Or oh, whether you bring attachments back from these areas as well. I don't necessarily mean that incredible story that you've just told, but. I found myself on clifftops last year, late last year, with a guy called Bob Brown and one of my daughters. She was staying with us. Uh, she was in process of moving house. She's not massively interested in subject to UFOs, but she, she gets along with Bob and she came onto clifftops with us. Now, I don't know where this fits into things, but it's an interesting little story. Nevertheless, we're, we're up there. I've set a camera up. I'm hoping to film these unexplained lights that appear over at sea. And, uh, Gemma and Bob have got a Bob's got a powerful torch. He gives it to her, and she says, "What's that white thing there, Bob?" And he goes, "Oh, it's a, a sign stuck to a fence post or nailed to a fence post in distance." So then he realizes there ain't one there because he's come up with me years and years, and he sort of gets his, gets the torch off her and puts it on it. And as they're looking at it, it just literally drops to the floor and disappears. So that was that. But that night. Uh, me and my, my wife Mary, we went to bed. We left Gemma watching TV in in this little room between our main living room and the hallway. And she's, she, when I got up in the morning, she says, "I nearly had to come and work you up, Dad." I says, "Why?" She says, "I was terrified." I said, "What do you mean?" Well, I was, how old's Gemma? She's thirty six, so she's not a teenager. That's where I'm getting at. And she doesn't normally talk about anything like this, so she's not. It's not every time she stays at our house she has a weird experience. She says, "I'm sat watching TV." And the, the the sofa's back to the wall, and there's a hallway behind it, a brick wall, and then a hallway, our hallway, not not an adjoining house or anything. She says, and suddenly I thought I could hear thunder. She says, and I, I turned TV down. I thought, what the hell was that? She says, and then a growling started, and she called it growling, like a huge dog. She said it was so deep and guttural that my insides, I could feel them 
shaking. With she said, and I was terrified. She said, and I, I sort of got up and I, I gingerly looked, went to the door and looked down hallway, and I thought, shall I wake my dad up? I don't know what to do. Have I just I've imagined that? So it it kind of makes you wonder if this stuff can actually follow you. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because I'd, I've not got an explanation for that at all, Josh. You know, it's it's such a strange one. You know, uh, uh, obviously we haven't got a cryptid sighting here, listeners, but we've got we've got a strange experience, and I, I'd like to bet that some of your listeners can relate to that kind of thing as well. Yeah, and when you're talking about the black dog, we in 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 the Latino culture, especially the Mexican culture, my mother was Mexican, you know, she, and my dad is is white. But one of the things that that uh, you know in, in Mexican folk, the cadejo, they call it the cadejo, and and it is actually distinctly different from the hombre lobo. The hombre lobo is actually uh, the wolf, a wolf man or man wolf. That's something that is actually uh, in my you know hometown that the that the Mexicans uh, that I grew up with some of them you know the the older generation uh, would tell us you know the, the, there's this hombre lobo and then there's the cadejo the cadejo is like a it's a curse type thing someone who is celoso as they say in Spanish it's like jealous you know you're jealous and you have a spouse and you that you think they're cheating on you or something and so you teach them a lesson you summon the black dog you do the ceremony. And the black dog comes running into the field and, and uh, will attack someone in, in the cotton field or, or, or wherever they're working. My mother and her family chopped cotton when they were young. And, uh, and so it was, it was just a backbreaking work that they would do every, every year. And um, the older generation, not my mom's generation, but the older generation, they had stories of the Cadejo going into the field, tearing someone apart, and then when everybody runs over there to stop the the dog or whatever it was that was attacking, the dog would run off. The person would be dead, and it would look like they'd been ripped apart. But then they would look perfectly healthy um, when everybody got up to them. And it, they, the coroner's report is they died of you know the cardiac arrest nearly every time, caused by heat stroke or whatever. It, it's crazy. I mean, so you, you know, you got all these the stories of and then. You, you compare that to the black dog, which very much sounds like a cursed animal. And I've wondered oftentimes if some of these curses were there maybe during the, the, the Gaelic times of the Celts um, or, you know, or they just kind of inter, inter, they blended in like with the Saxons because they were Germanic and they had their own legends of that. And then the Vikings come and then they, you know, that becomes like, a, you know, there's all these different, in, you know, groups of that that gave their uh their spin or you know whatever did their ceremonies uh with England, Scotland and and Wales and Ireland and all these different places you know they and and, and so you wonder what if they're cursed or what, you know what what it is it, it it is strange though Josh well not necessarily strange but all cultures all around the world long before we had this uh, multimedia, instant access to knowledge via the internet, long before phones, everything. They were, they're all, they've all got a similar kind of creature within their their religion, within their belief system, uh, be it Anubis, be it, is it Exol, the Mayon the dog. Yeah, they've all got, and, and they've, they've all got some kind of connection to the underworld. And, and the, the Aztec. Yeah, yeah. It, 
it's it's crazy, you know. And th these these cultures couldn't have possibly known each other in the earliest of times when these these belief systems were being established, should we say? Uh, so, so I think we've got to attach a truth. So, well, to what we're talking about, I mean, we'd be we'd have just wasted two hours if we didn't believe <laughs> sincerely that, you know, that, that, that there is a reality to this subject. I mean, you've and always connected to, to death, you know, like yeah, Hecate. Exactly. You know, like, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. She's the goddess of death and dogs. And then, you know, and, and then Cerberus, you have the three headed dog that guarded the entrance to Hades. And of course, you know, everybody knows Hercules is the only one that ever defeated it and got through. But um, but he was also a god, considered a god. Um, and I believe a lot of that, though, and I, and I don't want to get into all that right now, but I could tell you I believe a lot of it was real. It was Nephilim, I believe, you know. But, you know, a quirky story and a short one, because I don't know what time we've got, Josh. And uh, this is kind of a, it's, it's a modern twist on it, should we say, although it even goes back to ancient times. There's a guy living in a built-up area. Is uh, living in a little semi-detached house with his mum and dad. Uh, I don't know whether I think he said he were early twenties. Big, well, well-built lad. Now in his mid mid to late thirties, and he had an heart attack in his early twenties, and he wouldn't tell anybody why. He told a friend of mine, and then I got to find out about the story because he was that. I wouldn't say embarrassed. He just realized realized nobody's going to believe this story if I tell the doctors, tell people why I've had a heart attack. So here here goes. He's he's laid in bed in his room th th this particular night, and. He woke up in the night and he said there's what looks like, in his words, Anubis in the bedroom. And it walked through the room and walked straight through the wall upstairs so and disappeared. And that's what he said. He said there's a second one walking through the room and it gets to the wall and turns and looks at him. He realises it can be seen. Walked towards him. He said, and it put its hand into my chest, obviously non-physical. I'm, I'm saying obviously, but just in case anybody thinks it's ripped his chest open. He said, and I had an heart attack. Now, whether he's dreamt this and the dream's been that vivid, he's had an heart attack, but he believes that that is what happened. And I, these stories, I mean, that we're not talking about a werewolf. We're talking something that looks like Anubis, even with clothing. Even with the the attire that he had on, what a what a bizarre story to tell anybody, and he, you know, he said he couldn't tell anybody why he'd had the heart attack. Nobody could understand why he'd had the heart attack. No history of heart problems and and nothing since. But he claims that is the reason, and. I don't, I don't, uh, that's as different as you're going to get, I would think, Josh, you know, as regards a story of this nature. Uh, and, and, and it's crazy that there's so many, uh, the, the connections, you know, you just get all these connections, um, to these wolf-like creatures and the fact that they are in Norse, in Norse mythology in particular, that they, they were the, sp the spinoff of Loki and, uh, Angerboda. And when you, when you yep. look at those two, you know, they're evil. And, and then, of course, even they understood that the Fenrir needed to be chained up. They had, they were like even on board with that one because that, you know, he, but I think that the Vikings had such a powerful connection to these different uh, deities, entities, which were really just deities to them. And, and they invoked, I think they invoked magic to help them, um, uh, 
you know, uh, because there there were several pitched battles that were fought by the Vikings to try to take, uh, I think, Northumbria, um, which was one of their targets. And I believe that, yeah, and so they, they and of course, in, in York, that area. And well, course, we're close to York here. You know, it's a, there's a rich history of sort of Viking settlement here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all the places that I've spoke about today, we've, you know, we've, we've got uh, a, a very heavy Viking in, influence. So you're absolutely spot on what you're saying there, Josh. Yeah. And York, of course, was, was also sacked, I believe, by William Wallace, wasn't it? I think it was sacked by him years ago. I, I don't know. I, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. No, and, and they they also invoked a lot of magic. There's a movie that I saw years ago with Channing Tatum, and I think it was called The Eagle. And it shows the uh, the standard. The Roman standard was stolen, so they had to go into Scottish, Scottish territory, which was just like the forbidden zone, you know. And so the those Scots were practicing uh, a type of magic, you know, when they uh, fell upon them to try to, if I remember the movie correctly, and they and they showed like their priest, he was wearing like a, a deer skull, you know, like how some people describe the Wendigo, which I think when they show that, that deer skull, it could be, you know, like this rake type creature that's the Wendigo and it yeah. wears that as a mask because I've had people tell me that they've seen that with antlers and which is people say, well, that was just a later addition. Well, I've had more than one person tell me they've seen that. And that could be um, like an avatar that was created a tulpa type thing. But the Scots had the same belief, you know, of this wolf like creature and they revered it and honored it. I don't know if it came from their interaction with the Vikings, um, but the, uh, the uh, the the same thing applies. You have this, you know, what could be like a curse, you know, and they use magic, and and it just kind of lingered, you know. Yeah, the the ritualistic magic. Yeah, I mean that that could act back to the peop- ancient peoples of Starkar, or on the cliff tops here at Bempton and around Speeton. We've got an old RAF base, RAF Bempton, which closed in 1968, stroke 70. It's, it's underground. Most of it's underground. I'm not going to call it a complex because it's not. It's a, it's a very large area with big rooms underground. It were a radar base. But my point is when it when it closed, because it's in such a remote place, it began to get used by a, a cult, a satanic cult. In the first book, it was it rumour. In the second book, I found a little bit more out and out. I was kind of brave enough to say, look, there's more to this than just rumour. And in the third book, I knew because I've actually met someone who were in the cult and I've met somebody who witnessed sacrifice down there, animal sacrifice people, I need to say. Not that not that I'm thinking that's good. But what they were trying to do, to, at the start of it, it were Alistair Crowley type magic. But that, after that, it got deeper, it got darker. And that I met somebody who left it because of how dark it was getting. And they were trying to summon demons. And, and you, you know Crowley and Jack Parsons and the guy from uh, I don't want to say that giant uh, religion that's not really religion. I don't want to say his name because you could get in legal trouble. But um, just just put it that way. The, the 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 guy that founded that they did commit a lot of they did a lot of magic together. You yeah. know, and they did what they did. I believe was Bolskin Castle, Loch Ness. Um, yeah, there were yeah, and a lot of the UFO activity. A lot of people don't realize this coincides with that same time frame. They may have uh, opened exactly. something up. Yeah, and now, so you I've know, thought that. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. Jeff, 
you, you know, I, I thought because of the the thing that's been seen on the cliff tops around these the coastline does not kind of conform with what's been seen in the forests. It, you know, it's it's long and kind of not say rakish, not the rake, but it's very lean. The, sort of the, a the rangy looking creature. Yeah, the descriptions are. It looks like that thing off uh, Harry Potter film, mm-hmm. the Remus Lupin, and. I just wonder what they've been doing. What you know, it, it's in very close proximity to where all animal mutilations were taking place in 2017 that I looked into extensively. And before anybody thinks that the creature's responsible for that, and well, I was to say it couldn't have been, but the, the the carcasses that I were finding were stripped of skin, eyes removed, ears sliced off. And it weren't just sheep. I, you know, when I got involved in investigating it, there were 28 approximately done. It was, there were 50 big time I'd finished, and we never found what were killing them. But it were roe deer, badger, fox, uh, birds, marine mammals such as porpoise. Oh, they, they had great holes through the jaws. And all this is in the area where this thing's been seen. So I'm not necessarily attributing this thing to, to that those deaths, the animal mutilations, but I am saying that it's in an area of high strangeness and, and that's why I've, I touched on it a few times during this, while we spoke today, I wonder if the areas such as Bray Road, because we know in uh, Skinwalker, every it's a multi-phenomena area, I'm wondering if your researchers, the people that have identified an area where the, the cryptid's been seen, be it werewolf-type Bigfoot, have actually looked into the possibility that it is a multi-phenomena area and we're getting a lot more things, not just their chosen subject actually making an appearance in these areas. Yeah, devil's backbone comes to mind out here. I mean, just like you have um, like you have all these different triangles, there's all these different uh, areas that, you know, where people and, – and, and I noticed, too, if you look at the map of the Devil's Backbone with those the, the three different cities, there is sort of a triangle there. Um, yep. But it, but it, but the, the sightings and things that I've collected in that area that you can't really put it in a triangle because they go outside of that, and and so, yeah. but there are there is heavy activity within that triangle. But what's crazy is that, and I've talked about this multiple times. Like you'll have a rash of sightings around one area, and you'll see one cryptid there in that area. Then you'll see. And in one area, the dogman, and then in the other area, the Bigfoot, and then there's ghosts yeah. all over the place, and then it's it's all happening in one area. Um, and when I was driving down Purgatory Road, and there is a cemetery there that is known for a black goat man that has been seen by people I know personally. Um, I look up, and I we were coming back from San Antonio. And uh, I see this red, I mean, I'm sorry, red, a silver ball, like orb looking thing in the sky. And it looked like a a BB. Um, And it was just kind of getting bigger. And then it went away. And I tried to wake my wife up. She was asleep. And Anthony, it was with me and Mushu, my old co-host, which sometimes still comes around. But he works a lot. He's my godson. But they were both sleeping in the back. And I was like, hey, look at that. Look at that. And by the time my wife woke up, it was gone. And I was like, look, I, there was a silver ball in the sky. Up until uh, uh, the last maybe two, three years, I had never seen anything in the sky. I had never seen anything weird in the sky. Like, you know, I'm just – but now I've seen it three times. And and it's it's been every time my wife's in the car – 
and she doesn't see it. And then the one time she gets out of the car and goes into one of the houses uh, that were of a place that we were guarding, she she went in. There was a house that we we had that they would let us use for the restroom. And when she came back out to the truck, I was trying I was trying to te- call her, you know. And I said, "Look, I saw another. I saw that again. That little ball, um, like a BB, because it's it looks so small in the sky, but then it gets bigger." Yeah. Now I don't know what that is, but in that same area. We would hear these weird howls at night, and my wife was like, that just sounds so weird. And we kept trying to record it by putting our phones out, and we couldn't pick up – you couldn't hear it. Like, if you tried to play it back, you couldn't really hear it. It was very so faint. But then um, it would happen off and on, you know, and the guards would talk about it. And so I saw that ball right in the sky, like, at the same time – um, that, you know, we would hear those howls at the, not at the same exact time, but in, you know, in the same area. And then of course, yeah, yeah. driving through devil's backbone off purgatory road, I saw that ball and I'm going like that. That can't be a coincidence. There has to be the exact word, Josh, it's hard not to believe that these things aren't connected when, when there's so much activity and you like what you've just kind of alluded to, it's, you know, the spheres of light, they get seen, Around these forests, uh, you know, people report seeing odd, strange lights moving through the trees. At the same, not at the same time that the cryptids being reported, but at the, but in the same areas. And is that so? Therefore, there's a possibility that it is all connected. Yeah, because they they do. I had a guest on not too long ago. Um, well, then again, time by the time this airs, maybe three or four months. But he came on the show and. And his name was Richard, and he talked about being in a field and these two balls of light and these things jump out of them. And they were dogmen, yeah. you know. Well, do you know, I, 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 my time's just about there, but I've, I've got another story. We'll have to they'll probably wait for another time, Jeff, and I've called it the, the hairy Chewbacca. And mm. this is a father and two children wild camping in North Yorkshire who claimed that they were carried across fields to a UFO by what they de- the children described as hairy Chewbacca's. And, you know, like the thing from Sky... Oh, skinny Chewbacca's. Let me get my facts right. Uh, you know, and there's... there's, there's oh, just piles and piles of stories that I, I can go through, Josh, if you if you want to do this again sometime. Oh, yeah, we got to do it again. We got we got to do it again, and we got to, you know, get, get to the stuff we couldn't get to. Folks, we knew we had a limited time and that, you know, that uh, he was going to have... Uh, some some uh, uh, stuff to do, and so we had to, you know, get out what we could. And me and Paul could sit here and probably talk from now until next Smith, Saint Smithens Day. And if it hasn't <laughs> been created, once it's created, then that you know, it's it's crazy because like you know, me and you talked on the phone the other day for a while. I don't even know how many. We, how, we, well, of we hours. said five minutes, and it was two hours. Two yeah, hours. Yeah, right. We just talked, and it was like. But we've talked before, you know, and we were you were pressed for time. But at some point, you know, come back because, like I said, we left meat on the bone there for us to talk about. There's a lot more to talk about, so we're going to get you back on. Loads of accounts, yeah. loads of accounts, and 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 sort of like you just said, there's things in between that you'll want to fire at me and and run past me, and just as I'm, I'm so interested in what you've got to say, Josh. Well, we did at least we covered the groundwork. We laid the groundwork about these places. And the possibility where they came from and the history of it and the mythology. And so we got through that. And next time, maybe we can get into some more encounters because 
you have an you you know you have an encounter story, and then I have an encounter story. And we can just go back and forth with this all for, you know all week. But um, I appreciate you coming on, Paul, and I'm and I'm I'm thankful for your time. Your books. You said that uh, the, the 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 fifth book is your personal experiences, right? No, no, no. The, the there's three one, books out. Four, al- yeah, yeah the, there's three books out already. The, the Truth Proof series. There's another one coming out, so that'd be Truth Proof for. Uh, the fantasy of reality, and there's a there's another book just about my personal experiences called The Night People. Uh, we have a website, truthproof.uk, and uh, anybody wanting to look at the website, there's there's quite a few original reports on there. You know, we don't plagiarize other people's work, and the books can be obtained through the website. The they were for sale, or they were and still are for sale on Amazon, and there's a lot of reviews on Amazon. But you know. I, if people want to buy them, I'd, I'd go to the website. Uh, what else? We do a live stream every Thursday night, uh, seven o'clock UK time, seven PM. And I'm going to be get... on there um, October seventh, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, right. I should. I, I, we have wrote it down, Josh. Yeah. And if, if obviously, if if something crops up at your end, just tell me, and we can uh, we can reschedule. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to come on, I'm going to be on there. So I'm going to, I'm going to advertise that pretty heavily when it's before it's time. I'm going to have you come on, on the Tuesday show. Uh, don't forget folks, Tuesday, October 5th, I'll have Barton Nelly on and we're going to show you something really cool. Um, and maybe Paul, you could drop in if you're not too busy. I don't know. You, you probably, I, I don't know my time, you're six hours ahead. So if I'm doing my show at eight, you'd be four in the morning. So I think you'd probably be getting up at what five. Uh, uh, Josh, I might make effort. Your show runs for a couple of hours, doesn't it? Two or three yeah, hours. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could do it. At, I could get you on at nine or ten. I'm up at that. So you would be your time would be like five o'clock in the morning or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I'll do that. I'll do that. Just give me a kick up backside and remind me. That's what I'm saying. Because I'm going to have to get up and when I do your show, it's going to be noon for me and that's my sleep time because I actually work sometimes at night. I don't, but I'm going to make sure not to work the night before so I can get up because I want to do your show. Um, I don't do shows hardly ever. Everybody knows that. I've turned down a lot of them and not because I'm a jerk. I'm not because I'm a jerk. But I have agreed to work with a few different people. Tony Merkel, I, I, he hit me up and I'm like, you know what? I might work with you. It's cool. He seems like a great guy. Uh, you, Jason Bland, I've actually agreed, maybe Tom Cardos, um, to do some shows. And I want to do some shows during the month of October. So, yeah, that's going to be – I'm going to be probably doing that. And so uh, that that's going to happen. And so, Paul, I appreciate you coming on. And thank you so much for uh, your, your – uh, just all, everything you do. All well, the research you. and the hard work you do. And uh, it's crazy. And, 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 you know, somebody who puts in as much work as you do, uh, uh, lifting and everything like that, you're not going to be a lazy person. You know, I notice that. People who lift like we do, you're not lazy. You know, you go out there and it takes a lot of work. And what you well, do takes you, a lot of work. You know, and I, I don't actually do it for any kind of recognition of the training. I mean, it, I've, I've trained since I was 14-year-old. I'm 58 now. And as I say, apart from you and talking about it today, I don't think I've ever talked about doing any kind of weightlifting or exercise on a podcast. It, it was just the fact that I'd seen you doing them flies, and I thought, wow, that's that's quite impressive. And I, I 
got this little, which I filmed myself, I just shoved camera on a tripod and you've seen my gym, it just looks like it's been hit by a Tasmanian devil. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> don't expect something plush if you're going to watch that, guys. And uh, I thought, yeah, well, I knew, I knew a, somebody in the late 50s who weighs in between 12 and 13 stone, uh, shift, doing 35 reps with them, that kind of weight. And I don't know many people that would do it. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not easy. You know, I mean, people have no idea like like it just you know, they just don't, you know. And then people talk and they like to say stuff. So I showed a video, a few videos of me lifting. I was doing an incline press. I was like 500 pounds. I did it like three sets of 3 with the close grip, which is really hard. And I showed a video of me on the speed bag just showing you, look, you know, these people talking all this trash, I tell them, sign the waiver. You think you're tough, you know, and come down here. There's a, I know all the fight, the the, the fight gyms here, been been down here training for years. But uh, you were impressive with what you did, Paul, and, and you're impressive with your work. You're 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 just a all around impressive guy, and uh, well, I'm glad to call you a that. friend, man. And I I really admire your work and I have for a long time, and I am so glad that we were able to get back together and finally coordinate it, and and then do a show together because that's kind of like a weight lifted off me. I've been, I've been holding for, for a long time. And since Armando had passed, I, I had kicked it around with my team. I said, should we release that episode? And, you know, and with Paul Sinclair, but there was so much that was left undone and unsaid yeah. that I thought maybe we should just leave it alone. You come back and, and I'm, I'm, I'm this one here uh, is in memory of Sal because he admired you a lot and he really liked your work and he was real stoked to do that interview. Um, and well, of course it got cut kind of in, it didn't finish. So we well, finally uh, yeah, well, That was part of my fault. I think to be honest, Josh, and you know, time, time were just again uh, against me, but uh, if we do this again, I'll make sure that we're not, we're not covering the same ground. We'll, I'll, we'll have other things to talk. I'll have other things to talk about. So obviously, uh, werewolf stroke dogman related and uh, yeah i really look forward to it yeah me too so paul i'm gonna let you go and uh, everybody at the prt uh, uh team appreciate you coming on and we'll do this again excellent thank you very much josh my yeah pleasure yeah my pleasure